Welcome to The Thought Hackers, the show where you will learn how your mind works and discover how to change your thinking from leading experts and through inspiring stories. Good day, everyone. My name is Nathan Siegel, and I'm a member of The Thought Hackers. With me today is Rihanna Milne. Rihanna is a certified dating and relationship coach, a number one best-selling author, and the life and dating coach for the new docu-series Radical Dating, Finding Lasting Love Over 40. She's an educational speaker, mental health counselor, and trauma and addictions professional. She has been practicing for more than 18 years, and she lives in Delray Beach, Florida. She offers online virtual coaching courses for singles and couples at the lifeandlovetrainingacademy.com. Rihanna's Facebook fan page is Coach Rihanna Milne, and her website is RihannaMilne.com. I'd like to welcome you to the show today. Hi, Nathan. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's good to, good to speak with you. I, I was looking over the the questionnaire that you'd sent back, and I thought, wow, you've done some, some interesting things. And the, the first thing that got my attention is what you'd written here, the shocking truth of why 9 out of 10 people struggle in life and love and what to do about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's my topic conversation when I go out to speak, and I'm actually speaking this weekend in Las Vegas. So um, I'm also, can you know, including for that speech community trauma and PTSD because mm -hmm. of what they've just recently all been through, of course. Yes, and my understanding of PTSD, like uh, according to some medical di diagnosis, is that. Uh, supposedly it doesn't appear right away or the symptomology appears later in terms of diagnosing PTSD but PTSD but it would seem that it would show up almost immediately after the event if there if there was going to be any indication of it I I tend to disagree on that I think it shows up almost immediately um, for example you know the trauma around 9/11 yeah you know, people were in shock right away um, and it just presents differently as it goes on, but trauma is stored in the brain and the body. So, you know, it just has different signs over time. So initially there's shock, then there's sadness, then there's fear. Uh, there might be uh, sleepless nights or reliving the event, uh, avoiding places where the event may have occurred or similar places. So it plays out differently for different people. Yes. But way back, you know, in the DSM-4, the Diagnostic Model for Psychotherapy, they don't mention anything about childhood trauma or how it plays out in one's adult life or love relationships. I also don't think PTSD is a mental health issue. Trauma is something that occurs to you. You know, the moment before, you were fine. You know, maybe immediately after, you know, you have anxiety, you have depression. This is not a mental illness. This is a result of shock and trauma on the body. I agree so, with you, yes. Yeah, so as a coach and a counselor, you know, as a coach, I don't have to diagnose anyone, which I love. You know, as a counselor, they make you diagnose and put codes on people that stays with them for the rest of their lives. This is why... I love and only do now the coaching model, even though I am a psychotherapist for 18 years. Um, so, you know, trauma is something that occurs to you, and it's a process 
to know how to relieve uh, trauma response triggers, which I call emotional triggers, in life and love. So it's a process. Yes, for sure. So when you've written here the shocking truth why nine out of ten people struggle in life and love, are you specifically referring to PTSD or something else? No, childhood trauma. Uh, there are 10 of them, and most people say, well, you know, my childhood wasn't perfect. It was okay. I don't think I came from trauma. Then they hear of the nine, the 10 traumas, and they're like, wow, I have four or five of those or six or seven of those. So I usually do share with the listeners what are the 10 traumas, and then that's helpful for moving forward in our conversation. So if you'd like to, I'd be glad to go into that. Very much so. I, I'm very curious as to what you have to say. Okay, so we call these ACEs or Adverse Childhood Events, and years ago, the first term that came out to somewhat define people going through uh, adult trauma related back to childhood was called ACOA, which stands for Adult Child of an Alcoholic, and then they finally added or other traumas. And then the ACE study was done by the CDC, Center of D Disease Control, and um, they did a lot of research with people, and they came out with the 10 significant traumas, but there's even a lot more after these initial 10. So as I share them, this is something your listeners may want to write down if they want to contact me later and say, Rihanna, I want to talk to you about my childhood trauma and how it's coming out in my adult life. It is helpful for me to know which ones you feel you related to. So remember, as a child, you're young, you're innocent, you had no control really over your environment. And this is why coping strategies emerge, because when you're a little child, you have to depend on your mom or dad. You have to love your primary parents. So different coping mechanisms and strategies occur so that you don't get hit or beat or screamed at um, or ignored. And then these just become part of your behavioral patterns that do not work any longer as an adult. And I can go into those second, Nathan, if you'd like. Yes, I would. So, okay, so here's the first 10. As a child, did you experience parents who did any of these things? One was addicted to anything. So drugs, alcohol, sex, porn, cheating, hoarding, uh, food, gaming, gambling, TV watching, those are just 10 right out of the box that I can think of. Cigarettes? So, uh, no, not so much. I don't mention cigarettes as an addiction that it can be one that ignores the child. This is more that it's secretive and, um, well, you know, if you're smoking and you stop smoking, you can get agitated and moody. But if you're a gambler and you're not at the, the games playing, you know, you could be losing family money and so on. It's more addictions that tend to affect the children. Okay. okay. So the second one is domestic violence, either witnessing it or being a recipient of. So there's three categories under this. One is verbal abuse. So yelling, um, even put downs, verbal put downs, or being ignored where the parent shuts down to you to punish you. They're not going to talk to you. So, or screaming at each other and you witness that. The next one is emotional trauma uh, or neglect. Even the, the single mom that's working two to three jobs to support our kids, we know in a way that's good. It's bringing food on the table and shelter. 
but then the kids come home alone from school, have to get their own snack, do their homework, and there's fears around that. There's neglect around that. So neglect is that one, and the third one is physical abuse, rape, or molestation, and that could have occurred either in or outside of the home, and up towards the age of 25. You're still young and fairly innocent, so whenever that happens, that's like a level 10 trauma. After that, we have uh, abandonment, and there's fault and no-fault abandonment. So a no-fault abandonment is, uh, for example, a parent dying early. It's not their fault, but a child still is left feeling abandoned. A parent that has to go off and fight for war, they abandon. And another one is a parent traveling all the time due to their job. That's a feeling of abandonment. Like as a child, I didn't know my dad was like James Bond. He was traveling for the FBI and CIA. We didn't even know it till he was sick. And we got letters from Ronald Reagan and William Casey thanking my dad for his many years of service. And we're like, oh, that's where dad was. <laughs> because I always remember saying, when's daddy coming home? And we never knew. And my mom didn't know. So it's that feeling of geez, where's my dad? Um, the next one would be um, being part of adoption, foster care, or needing to live with other relatives because your parents couldn't take care of you. So that is a popular one. Um, the next one is personal trauma. So you grew up and you were being bullied as you grew up, or you had to move a lot and felt you'd never fit in, or you had to get a new friendship every time you went back into a new school. Uh, you could have had a medical condition. A lot of children that are overweight feel different and not selected for the teams, that kind of a feeling. I was the opposite. I was very tall and skinny with big glasses, so I was teased for that. Um, so it's anything where you just felt different or out of sorts or might have had a medical condition. Uh, the next one is sibling trauma. So your sibling could have been born with physical challenges. Um, they might have developed something if they were the older sibling, like an addiction, and you, you know, all the focus was on them and you didn't get much attention, or they were the golden child, and parents love them for some kind of a athletic, you know, situation, and you weren't as, as athletic, and, you know, they gave a ton of time and attention and, and compliments to the sibling, but not to you. Next one, this was a big one, and it's a really big one now in the past few months, which is family trauma, loss of home by flood, fire, hurricanes, mortgage crises, where these little kids are witnessing, you know, hiding in closets, worried if their homes are going to disappear, and then seeing on TV this could have happened to them, you know, mass shootings like in, in Vegas and in the schools. Um, this is community trauma as well, and I, I put that in, in this area. Community trauma wasn't even part of the 10 traumas, but it is now because homes are being, you know, whole homes, communities are being wiped out, and it's scary for adults. Can you imagine little children going through trauma like this? I work with clients all over the world, and I have people from Lebanon who grow up with bombs going off every day, not knowing at the end of the day if they'd be alive or not. So, you know, there's a lot of traumas if a parent was incarcerated, if you came from poverty, again, moving a lot, military families have to move every four years, that's traumatic for the whole family to up and leave and, and go again. Uh, I don't know why the military does that, because it's really harmful on our families. But, you know, that there's a lot under family trauma. And then the last one is mental health issues in either mom or dad. 
and the two most severe are borderline personality type or bipolar, which is manic depressive. And with those two, you never know what you're coming home to. Is mom happy today? Uh, you know, is she angry? Is she? Are they moody? Are they fighting? And, you know, it's so funny. I, I worked in the schools from grades K through college with kids in crises. It's called the SAC counselor, S-A-C, student assistance counselor. And initially it was created to help people with drugs and alcohol. I'm, I'm there. You know, these kids aren't doing it. They're watching their parents do drugs, over drink, get into fights. So it was more the emotional issues and traumas that we had to deal with. And all these kids are diagnosed with ADHD. And I... I shake my head. I said, these kids are coming in from being beat or sleeping in a closet or mom's too drunk to give them any food. And then they're all of a sudden they can't focus in school. Well, of course they can't focus in school. You know, they're traumatized. They're emotionally upset. They're wondering what, what's going to happen when I go home today. And, you know, it's very hard for them to find someone to talk to. And, you know, we're the first ones to go when there's budget cuts. And it's really sad because when we can help a child to process this, you know, uh, my office was called Miss Rihanna's Relaxation Room, and we would meditate in there. And this is years ago before they even talked about meditating in schools that I was doing that. And, you know, I'd set them up on behavioral charts where they would get rewards for having a good day. And, you know, it's called the star chart. And it's all behavior modification into positive things in their life. So, you know, I could turn these kids around in, in all natural, holistic ways. But, you know, there's so much trauma of our children in schools. And it's true that the studies show 9 out of 10 people experience some of these traumas. So now you can hear, you know, which ones they are. And most people say, well, yeah, I mean, 90% have at least one. So, and then there's the severity index of 1 to 10. How severe was the trauma? Was it one huge incident like a rape or was it multiple incidents over time like a uh, hearing your parents fighting over and over and over again? And we kind of have to put weight, you know, how severe the traumas were. Yeah, and the, the other major important issue is that every single one of us is different and we all process uh, what happens around us in a different way. And some one person might not have a severe reaction to it where another one the the reactions could be right off the charts and one thing you didn't mention which uh which actually came up in another interview last night is amnesia due to trauma well yes children choose to forget it because they have to love their mom and dad so i mentioned that a little bit okay mhm mm so in in your but experience yeah, but it sure. becomes, sorry, it, it becomes part of the unconscious. So it does come out in an adult life and love relationships. And that's what I was going to get into next. Cool. Okay. Yeah, because children are, do not have the mental capacity to process this and deal with it. So they deal with it in the moment. And then, like, they're doing something to either try and calm mom or dad down. Or they might be cute. They might be charming. They might go around and clean the house to please so mom won't be angry or dad won't yell. Um, so there's certain, and we call that people pleasing. And a lot of women grow up to be people pleasers. They acquiesce. You know, if their husband's yelling and screaming at them, then, you know, they're, they're just going to keep quiet and try and keep the peace. Well, they learn that as a kid, as a coping mechanism. And then I see these women later and they say, I totally lost who I was. I don't have my voice, I have no confidence, I'm always anxious, 
I'm angry because my life is hell, you know, um, and they learn not to speak up or they were going to get beat. So, you know, they learn certain coping mechanisms as children, or again, they shut down and choose to forget because they have to live with mom and dad. So that is selective amnesia, but it's really the unconscious taking over in a protective way. So as an adult, what can come out and what is wreaking havoc in the relationships that's causing close to 60% of our marriages and exclusive relationships from breaking up? Well, I've got like 10 of these too. So one is lying. Um, And lying comes as a child because you're afraid of being punished. Um, As an adult, you lie to your partner because they might leave you or you might upset them because you know you've done something wrong. So lying's got that 50% chance of you get away with something. So the kid that might have gotten an F on their test and say, boy, if I take this home to dad, I'm going to get beat. So I'm going to put it into an A and just say my teacher wants to make sure you saw my A paper. And if they sign it and you got away with it, then you learn, wow, lying works. So as an adult, it just becomes a habit. And these are the adults who say, well, why'd you even lie about that? That's like not even a big deal. Well, lying becomes a habitual way of life. Next one is control. Control is used when a partner doesn't feel good enough or they lack control over their own life. Very often people that grow up and seek uh, jobs that have a control component, like a police officer, EMT, um, uh, a, a tough attorney, You know, they have control factors in their life. They do that because they had little control as a child. Most police officers, and I worked with most of them in the Atlantic City, New Jersey area, they didn't, you know, they came from homes with a lot of trauma. So they find, they seek jobs out where now they're in control. So many of them have those tendencies. Jealousy is a lack of trust and also equated to your own self-confidence because you think your partner wants another. Because what you offer is, again, not good enough. So you hold on too tight. You control your partner's actions, how they dress, what they do. And that's going to make them angry and want to get away from you. So you're going to get the exact thing that you don't want. You know, you're pushing them away to maybe get, you know, positive attention from someone else. Because the jealousy is, you know, wreaking havoc in your life. And then it becomes jealousy and control working together. So again, someone who's jealous might have been teased horribly as a kid or told they're no good when they're young or you're stupid, Um, you know, all these horrible things that happen to young children, so they grow up to be jealous. Impulsivity is making risky choices that can destroy your relationship or hurt hurt your partner. And impulsivity just comes from that feeling, I want this, I want it now, and they don't think about anyone else. Um, A lot of people from trauma tend to be self-centered. They think about themselves without thinking about someone else. Why? Because as kids, all they could think about, what can I do or what do I need to do to survive? So they become very self-focused. And that leads to impulsivity and they don't think through, wow, this could really hurt me. That's, you know, like the partner that goes out and cheats because somebody talked to them, it's like, yeah, I want to be with you. They don't think this could ruin my marriage, ruin my children, I could lose my home, lose my job. They don't think about that. Uh, They just go with what feels good. Uh, People pleasing, again, I went into that. That's often the women that overdo for others, then they become angry and resentful. Um, 
And this is used to either raise their self-esteem, to feel good for the moment, or to please a very difficult partner. And they rarely say no to themselves. I mean, yes to themselves. They always say no to themselves and then overdo for others. Abandonment issues. When you had abandonment issues when you were young, it could lead to being clingy, having anxiety when your partner is gone, reaching out to talk to other people, seeking attention from others. So um, those with abandonment issues are always looking for someone to give them attention. Uh, For women, they tend to get attention through Facebook chats, you know, going back to high school, you know, thinking about when people gave them some attention. And men will seek, you know, women's attention in, in other ways, you know, online also through chat rooms, at work, um, whatever. You know, they're just looking for, and this is also the man that might have had a difficult relationship with his mom. He's looking for the nurturing of a woman. So if they had a little fight, this husband and wife had a little fight, he may be seeking out a positive attention. Oh, you're so great. You're so wonderful from some other woman. Uh, because of abandonment issues or, you know, again, lack of self-esteem, anger, yelling and acting out or shutting down, which becomes passive aggressive behaviors and you don't get your own way. Well, people tend to create the dynamic that they witnessed when they were young. So they, if, if they see mom and dad yelling and screaming at each other all the time to solve a problem, then they're usually going to do the same when they're an adult. Or, again, women who were afraid when mom and dad fought might have gone to their room and just was got really quiet, so they wouldn't be yelled at. <clears throat> they tend to shut down when their spouse gets angry at them. Um, but it could be either. You know, they shut down and then they start yelling at something that's not related and seems fairly insignificant, but they've been stuffing down their anger so long that eventually they do explode. Another is addiction. Uh, That often develops as a coping mechanism when people are anxious. It's like, oh, I'm going to take a drink. It helps with anxiety. Well, sooner or later, you know, alcohol is also a depressant. You start over drinking, you become depressed. You you interfere with the sleep cycle. Um, You know, you become addicted. So then, you know, they try drugs and, you know, something to take the pain away. Then they become addicted to pain pills, gambling, eating, hoarding. You know, hoarding comes from a period of coming from lack. Um, If you didn't have a lot as a child, you tend to love things or things of status. You know, the purse is with a a name on it. Like for me, it's like, who cares, you know? But some people, like they need the recent Gucci this or, you know, whatever it is, and they tend to spend um, money to be of status. Uh, think of the children from poverty that want the the most expensive sneakers with the brand name on it, you know, and that's all to fit in and feel part of the in crowd. Um, And then that just goes to an addiction. So this is where spending addictions come from and hoarding, needing things to feel love. And then after you get it, you know, after a while, it just doesn't bring that happiness factor anymore. So, you know, really all these coping mechanisms, there's like a hole inside, you know, where there's not true bliss and happiness. And all of my clients, whether I work with women, men, young, old, straight, LGBT clients, I work with all of them. The common element is the trauma and they do not feel happy or satisfied as an adult 
and can't figure out why. And then they keep attracting toxic partners into their life. It's like different face, same dynamic of a relationship, one after another after another. Why is this happening? Where is it coming from? It's coming from the foundation. Uh, it's yeah. coming from where they came from. That 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 part of it is clear. And the the obvious next question is, uh, okay, well, what do you do about it? Like when you've got these different people coming in with all these different symptoms, all these different problems, what's the number one thing you do? Well, I can't say there's number one thing. I mean, I wear three hats. I'm a psychotherapist for 18 years, licensed mental health counselor, and an addictions counselor. So if there's an addictions piece, I look at that. But I start out first by analyzing where's the trauma coming from. We break it down. I have all these uh, assessments that I use, and then how they answer is how I know to help them. So it's not one one strategy for all people. It's many strategies, and then how they present themselves to me is how I know how to help them. So first we analyze the trauma, and then after that I put on my coaching hat. I'm a certified life, love, dating, relationship coach. So my my program is a half and half. It's half life coaching to make sure we make the unconscious emotional triggers conscious and you think through everything and that takes a while my VIP programs are six months so we look at everything in one's life and where they're happy and unhappy and we make goals to increase the happiness factor and the success level in all life areas and then when they're feeling wonderful about themselves and you know there's no addiction component and they're they're tapping into seeing their own successes as I work with them in their life coaching. Then they're at that happy place where they can an emotionally healthy, conscious, and evolved partner. And evolved means being your highest and best self. So you're not going to attract someone like that until you are that for yourself. So we do that first individually, you know, and then we I get them out to date. And the dating component for my singles, and I again, I have programs for singles, called Dating to Mating, and then one for couples called Relationship Rescue. So for the singles, you know, I have to get them confident and feeling amazing about their life before they start dating. And uh, then they need the dating skills of, you know, uh, the questions to ask on the first two dates. So you know if you're with an emotionally healthy person or not. You know, is this somebody that's acting in integrity? I have like 20, 24 questions that they want to get through in the first two dates. Uh, they learn that chemistry alone is very dangerous. When someone says, oh, I fell in love with them because of chemistry, well, that's a big red flag because chemistry takes you back to your past. <laughs> and, yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. this is this is cool. Uh, sure. I, I would like to know more about that because um, because that's, that's come up a couple of times for me. Lots of chemistry. I thought chemistry was good, not <laughs> well, bad. Well, it, it, so. it's what your unconscious is comfortable with. It's your, quote, normal uh-huh. for when you were young. So here, in my case, I had a dad that wasn't home much, right? So a guy that's overly clingy is like, it's too much for me because I'm not used to having that man constantly around. So, you know, um, I have to balance someone that's professional and um, might travel from time to time to someone who's aloof and not attached, you know, not emotional. So it, we, once we know what the childhood dynamics of are in your life and what, what you're drawn to and what relationships failed and why, you get to see the puzzle pieces coming together. 
you know, and I just got off a strategy call with a woman whose dad was always yelling, uh, always just wanted peace in the house. And she says, I never had a voice, you know, so men I'm dating said I'm cold and aloof because I don't talk about my feelings. Well, she wasn't allowed to talk about her feelings when she was young. He didn't want her to talk at all. So she felt insignificant. So she's drawn to men. She goes, the last guy was exactly like my dad. So, you know, it's like the little girl that would never want an alcoholic, but she's drawn to another guy that happens to have an addiction of some type or an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. Right. So just I just want to focus a little bit more on the, what you were saying about the chemistry. So you're saying that the chemistry is not actually a good thing. It's uh, has to do with what you're comfortable with. So what I'm really curious about is if the chemistry is actually not a good thing and it is a red flag, as you say, how do you or what do you do to determine whether the person is right based on uh, there's obviously yeah. another criteria okay well a lot of people just really go gung-ho really quick people of trauma go really fast in a relationship and fast is not good you've got to slow it down there's an attraction factor sure you've got to be attracted to the person but then the questioning starts to happen you need to get certain answers and this is what was based on over two years of research that I present in my coaching programs um, and you've got to know the questions to ask and what kind of responses and what's coming up and have they dealt with any of that trauma that they might have gone through so you want to just take your time you don't rush into relationships you know everybody's great in the beginning everyone puts their best foot forward and they're not going to share you know everything that might have happened to them when they were kids and when I work with couples that come to me they always say well we want the magic back from the beginning you know we want to get back to where we were well what's happened in these relationships you know the first month four months seem to be really blissful there's a lot of attention romance um, if they're sexual early, the sex is good because these people really crave and want love, right? They have big hearts. They didn't get a lot of love as kids, so they really, really want love, and they come on very strong. So what happens four months into nine months? Well, someone that was abandoned, and you might be too clingy, or they become codependent, or they become jealous, or no, don't dress that way. That dress looks too sexy to go to work. Even though they were attracted to you how you dressed before, now they want you to change that. You know, because they want them to be, yeah, only yours. So it usually happens when a commitment is made. So whether you start living together, you're engaged, you're married, this is when some of the toxic stuff starts coming out. So what I do with my couples, where the state that they are, we start examining. I work with them one-on-one, -on -one, even though they're a couple, with their workbook. And I see where their individual triggers are. Then I start educating each other. Well, this is an emotional trigger for them. You know, so you've got it when this comes up, don't take it personally, but this is how you handle it now. So they each learn what each other's triggers and traumas are, what's coming up, why it's coming up, then they learn to talk through it. And there's certain communication techniques I teach them in talking through it. So, that's yeah. That's really cool. So for those, uh, those people who are listening to us in this interview right now, are there any... Um, downloads that these people can access that can yes, uh, I, 
give them some of this yeah, information? Yeah, I, I do give uh, three gifts to your listeners. I'd just like them to mention you and the podcast. Uh, the first thing is you go to my website, rihannamilne.com, R-I-A-N-A-M-I-L-N-E.com. And right on the homepage is downloadables to my two five-star books. The first one is a bestseller, Love Beyond Your Dreams, Break Free of Toxic Relationships to Have the Love You Deserve, and Live Beyond Your Dreams, From Fear and Doubt to Personal Power, Purpose, and Success. And they are meant to go together because live is about the positive mindset for success, which is the life component. And love is, you know, what to watch out for in toxic love and what is the emotionally healthy revolved relationship because we didn't learn that in any school, college, master's program. Nowhere do they teach you that. So that book is 424 pages and quite involved. But like I said, the real magic is in the workbook and working one-on-one. So... If you'd like to meet with me one-on-one, there's a pop-up window, and it says apply for a life and love strategy session with me. I give you up to an hour, and uh, just tell me a little bit about your story, and then I'll write you back, and we will pick a time together to meet through Skype, and that's a $500 value. So uh, just again, mention Nathan and the show here, and uh, then I will be honored to give you that gift. And then after that, if they decide to coach with me, I offer a $1,000 Fast Action Scholarship if anyone decides to sign up and work with me. Because of your show, Nathan, you know, they get a $1,000 scholarship. That's awesome. That's that's really great. I mean, it's it's very interesting. You really got my attention when you started talking about, well, a couple things. The chemistry being a red flag, which Mm -hmm. I did not know, quite a surprise to me. Um, because I thought chemistry was good rather than bad, and now I understand what you're talking about. And then the second thing was having this this questionnaire and knowing what questions to ask when you are meeting somebody. Because in, in my opinion, in my experience, in a sense, it's like you're interviewing the person in a very important way. And I've, I've never known what questions to ask. It's never occurred to me. Uh, with any of this and I'm just going wow this is really useful information if I'm thinking that I can only imagine what the audience members will be thinking about when they they listen yeah. to this and go wow I didn't know that I didn't didn't know the chemistry was a red flag oh I didn't know that I should be using a, a questionnaire and I'm going wow well it's really not like a questionnaire that they feel interviewed you learn to do it in very casual conversation of course and there's like 24 questions so it usually takes two dates but the first few questions that I, I instruct to teach, you know, to ask, well, a lot of them have one and done dates. They know immediately, whoa, you know, that came out. Like, you know, the first one is, well, tell me a little bit about your mom and dad. So if it's a guy and the guy says, oh, my God, my mom, she's such a pain in the butt, you know, or, you know, I, I rarely talk to her because all she does is da 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 da. Now, that's someone we call a mother hater. You do not want to date someone who hates their mom because they're going to eventually hate you. They're going to have no respect for you. They're going to control you. They're going to put you down. And that's someone that has not healed their problems around their mom. So that's a no-brainer, okay? So that's one of 24 questions. So if you ask like the first five that are important on the first date and you're looking also at different behaviors, 
on your dates to say if this is a good partner for you or not. So knowledge is power. And like I said, we didn't learn this anywhere. So I needed the information. <laughs> then I knew my clients needed the information. So I did it for double purpose. I, need, I did it for myself and my clients and over two years of research and put it together into this coaching program, um, the programs in general. And to work with me, VIP is six months and then the online school is 90 days. And the singles um, school starts October 30th on Monday. So that will be, you know, starting soon. And there's three terms a year. The next one will be in February. So, um, you know, and that's a group class. And then I get on and coach with your direct questions on what you're learning in your workbooks. And it's, you know, going back to you and your life. Then I will coach them on the class call. So, you know, everybody's story is different, and that's why I specialize in this. You know, my, my specialty niche is those of trauma, so that we can get you beyond the trauma response and not attract any more that people that are bringing cheap trauma into your life. You know, we want emotionally healthy people to, to date and to, you know, be with. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, for sure, I'm going to look into these materials myself because I mm -hmm. know I can learn from them. Great. Great. Yeah. You're yeah. welcome. Thank you so much. I really, yeah, really appreciate you taking the time to be Sure, with Nate. And one other thing I really want to stress, too, if, if you feel that you're a child of trauma, this tends to go through the generations. So look at your mom and dad's life. Mm -hmm. Normally, one or the other had trauma in their life. And if you have children, it's imperative that you stop the pattern, that you get the knowledge how to graze very successful children. Like my two daughters are very successful. I stopped the pattern with my research. And you want to grow very confident kids that are able to go out into the world, you know, launch successfully. So you want to stop the patterns. You want to stop the generational push. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I'm very much aware of that. I, I became aware of it at a very young age, and mm -hmm. I know what you're talking mm -hmm. about. So my goal is to have everyone I work with to have the life they desire and the love they deserve, because life is just too short, and you can suffer with this forever and make mistake after mistake after mistake, and it's costly and it's time-consuming, or you get empowered with the knowledge that you need to have that life and love you deserve and that you really cherish and want. And the skills that you learn with this, you've got them for the rest of your life. So it's really empowering. And that's why if you read any of the testimonials on my website, people are like, oh, wow, I see the transformation in their letters, you know, that they wrote to me at the end of their course. And it's, it's really empowering stuff. That's why I absolutely love what I do. And I'm trying to get the message out as much as I can. So I really appreciate you and Hamish letting me have, you know, this, this conversation with you to help teach people of childhood trauma and the effects that it has on you as an adult. Yes, thank you very much. And so for those of you who have been listening today, my guest is Rihanna Milne. My name is Nathan Siegel, and I'm one of the Thought Hackers. And we will speak to you in the next episode. You've been listening to The Thought Hackers. Make sure you subscribe and get each new episode emailed straight to you so you don't miss a show. And have a look at our resources page where you will find programs, audios and books that will create change in your thoughts.